Hey everybody, welcome to the JDO Show. I am your host, J. David Osborne. Big number 74. 74 of the show. That's crazy. Yeah, we're in the 70s. That's pretty cool. Let's see if there's any news in David world. I took a break from Facebook. I'm no longer there. I deactivated my account. And you know what, folks? I'm going to leave it down. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make a little shell account with like a fake name. And I'm going to link that fake name up to the Broken River Books Facebook and the... I think I might try to make a JDO Show Facebook again um, and just go on to update those pages. This is something that I've kicked around for, oh, probably the last two or three years. And I've sort of flirted with it. And I got a lot out of Facebook when I started using it. And I built up a really nice base of friends but I feel like it's kind of, um, it's diminishing returns, you know? I started noticing it with the snake handler. When I announced the book, about 200 people liked it. Um, and I'm happy with how the book is done so far, but I have the names of people who have bought the book and they do not coincide with the names of the people who liked the status. So I could put something up on Facebook and it'll get a lot of attention and it's funny and blah, blah, blah. But it's just not really translating to my business, essentially. I, I don't really feel like there's a lot of overlap in my business, especially now that Facebook really does throttle stuff super hardcore unless you pay for it. So my thought process is that, you know, I'll work out a little budget where I'll just use the Broken River page, but I'll you know, I'll boost those posts. So every day I'll have a post and I'll put like 10 bucks on it or something. I'm sure I can budget that out just to make it, you know, kind of utilitarian because, you know, I'm getting to a point now where I really do want to start really getting down to the nitty gritty and focusing on making this stuff work. Um, I have a lot of energy that I feel like I can put towards that. And, uh, yeah, it's just not, Facebook's just not the thing for me. Um, essentially what ends up happening is that whenever I go on, I end up spending too much time on it. It immediately upsets me, uh, puts me in a bad mood, makes me depressed and grumpy. And in return, in exchange, I get mild returns maybe for the quote unquote book career, if that's even the word that I should be using. Whereas I'm going to focus more also on um, email lists because at least with an email list, I can I can put funny stuff on there. I can make it entertaining and fun. It's not just going to be a, you know, buy my shit email list. It's going to be books that I've read recently that I've enjoyed and articles that I've read that I've enjoyed and album recommendations and funny thoughts that I've had. Really kind of a big comprehensive email list, sort of like Warren Ellis used to do. Um, and then every once in a while, it'll let you know when there's a new release and all that good shit. I'm going to see about doing one of those every week. So that's sort of what I'm replacing my Facebook use with because even if it goes to people's spam folders, I know that they're actually receiving my message. I know that it's not being, Gmail's not throttling my email list. So yeah, basically I just want to focus on um, things that actually work and I, God bless you if you like Facebook and if it's worked great for you, then I, I would say fantastic. But I've really done some deep soul searching about whether I should stay or not on the, on the, on the program and um, 
not the program, the, uh, is it a program? On the website, that's the word I'm looking for. And I've just decided to go. So that'll be it. I'll still be on Twitter. Because you know what's really just, it's really strange is that Twitter just doesn't have the same effect on me. I can go on Twitter and read, I don't know, 15 or 16 updates and then turn it off and think to myself, oh, okay, I, I, I got my value out of Twitter. Same with Instagram. I can scroll for about two minutes and then I'm done. But there's something about Facebook. It's, it's the little red flags maybe. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure Twitter would love to be as addictive to me as Facebook is, because that's what these corporations exist to do, is to hook you. But for whatever reason, they fail in ways that Facebook does not fail. And thank God for that, because it's a social media platform that I can actually use. And of course, if it becomes an issue there, then I'll turn that off too. But moving to El Paso, there's a big eclipse coming. There's just a lot of change is in the air in general. I'm feeling really good, actually. I'm feeling great about everything. I've changed up Broken River, so that's in this mutative process. By the time the year is over, should have all the authors onto this new system where essentially royalties just flow directly into their bank accounts instead of going through me as an intermediary, which is a super freeing and I don't know. I just feel really, really great about it. I've had a mixed response from people. I think folks really get confused when I say that because, and then I started realizing that the whole thing about a press is that a, a press is a, a, it's a, it's a power structure essentially. And part of holding on to power is creating the illusion of power. And one of the best ways to do that is to control people's incomes and to have power over whether or not they receive money. So there's a lot of perceived power that disappears when you put the financial, when you put essentially all of the royalties into the author's hand and tell them, you do what you want with that. If you want to split them up with me, that's cool. If you need to keep it because you're tight on bills this month, you keep it. I won't ask any questions. So there's a, there's a weird power being taken away by that. But the way I see it is that Real presses do a few things. They they essentially have big budgets. And I'm very class conscious, so I don't necessarily... I, I've, I've harped on here before about how money uh, is, is the root of everything in the publishing industry. But you know what? I've come to terms with it because there's nothing I can really do about it except for this. Like, I don't have money, so I have to, instead of crying about that and wishing that it was different, and that the system was different, I have to work within the system as it is. So basically, instead of pretending to be oppressed, because, okay, so let me, I'm getting a little scatterbrained here. So oppressed does a few things. It pays authors advances. It pays them royalties. Hypothetically, it pays for promotion and exposure, things of that nature. It basically, it's a big power structure that is able to act as a megaphone for a book. And I realized that as for Broken River, I had very I have very few of those things, right? So there's no money for advances. There's no money for serious promotion. So what I've been able to do within those confines, I think, is create a very, very strong brand, a strong symbol, uh, in which I curate a list of books that 
cu- both curate and edit and work upon uh, a list of books that I think are worth seeing. And I think people know that now. But because the Broken River is a place people will go to to buy books sight unseen, it doesn't necessarily make it a press in the typical understanding of that term. But I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think Broken River has 100% has a place within this literary community. I just, I'm uncomfortable with pretending like I'm something that I'm not, or the company that I run is something that it is not. So I'm doing the exact same thing that I typically do. I just give everybody, I just give my authors all the money. I put the, I put that power in their hands. And I'm also playing around with the idea of if they want to put in money for a promotional budget, I'll match it up to, I don't know, 200 bucks or something. But that's something that I'm not 100% sure on. But I think that that would be cool. You know, it's it's like Broken River would be, or is rather, it's this brand that means something that people can associate with quality and a certain type of book. But, you know, it also means you get me. So you get my editing skills and you get me being an extra pair of hands to help you promote the thing as best as I can, obviously, like to within reason. So I don't know. Basically, that's a long way around of saying I'm really happy with where Broken River is. I'm really happy with my own writing. I'm happy with I'm happy with everything. Like I'm happy to be moving. Um, I'm happy for the new environment of the desert. I'm happy with my spiritual practices. I'm happy with my exercise. Um, And yeah, and that's about it. So today on the program, we have Elle Nash. She is the author of Animals Eat Each Other, which is coming out from Dezank in 2018. She started a magazine called Witchcraft. I think that that's, I thought, I think I saw something before I left the FB that that was on hiatus, but I'm not 100% sure. And she's also the fiction editor at Hobart, which is a great online magazine of fiction. And there's a weird movie. I think that's where I saw, see like Sean Kilpatrick does those weird movie reviews. And um, yeah, no, that's one of the, it's one of the good ones. It's like that one and 3am. And I recently saw this thing called Flu-Land that I was a big fan of. I'm going to try to get some of the Flu-Land people on the show. Um because I, I was really enjoying that. Anyway, sorry, I get so distracted so easily. Uh, we have a really good conversation here. I'm trying to get back to the interview format. I had do, I've done a lot of stuff, you know, like with Joey and Bud and and Dave Keaton, and um, I I'm definitely not going to stop doing those things. But I don't know, folks. I just move wherever the spirit moves me. I go wherever I feel impulsively that I need to go and I want to go back to interviews now so that's what I'm doing um I did one with Michael Kazepis about a week ago we had a whole bunch of uh, weed toffee and and talked for a while so I'll be posting that one up a little bit later probably next week it'll probably be another week before I put that one up because uh again I have weird intuitions and impulses and I even though I recorded this today I felt like this should go up before Michael's and I don't know why it's just what the world is telling me I'm kind of like um Dougie Jones right Dale Cooper I'm kind of just I just am following these weird impulses that the 
that, that the Lodge is sending me from, from the beyond. Anyhow, I'm done talking. Thank you so much for listening to me talk all that shit. And I hope you enjoy this interview with El Nash. Number 74. Bye. So, Sweet. I'm pretty sure. All right. Say stuff. Hello. Oh, Mic my check. God. Oh, my Does God. It work? I'm seeing the little the little bar is going up. Ah, oh, this is exciting. Cool. Yay. All right. Cool. So, um, has anything exciting happened since we last spoke? Um, I ordered groceries online for the first time. <laughs> what was that like? It was weird. I felt like lazy, but also like I'm living in the future. Mm-hmm. It was really weird. But I like feel like I saved money because normally I think I wander for like two hours and then pick up all this shit that I don't really don't need. Right. So <laughs> that's amazing. So do you do that on Amazon? No, I did it. This is probably terrible, but I did it on Walmart because where I live is where the Walmart headquarters is. Mm-hmm. And so that's like, there's like Walmart and then there's like one local grocery chain out here. And that's all that exists for like 150 miles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I understand people who shit talk Walmart, but I mean, I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma where Walmart was the only place. And even now, uh, I've, there's a bunch of grocery stores around here because, you know, it's like Portland. So there's Whole Foods and New Seasons and Safeway yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I hate to say this, but I mean, Walmart is like half the price of all those places. So I know. Yeah. I just kind of have to rock with that because, I mean, I mean, we're talking about seriously like a difference of like two dollars per item, you know? Um, yeah. So, I mean, it is what it is, you know? I'd love to fight the power, but... I don't really have the budget for that. Yeah, no, I totally get that. That's kind of like where we're at too. It's just like, well, I'm, I'm poor right now. Yeah. Like I'm on, like my my entire pregnancy stuff right now. Like I'm on pregnant woman Medicaid. Like I don't have health insurance. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, yeah, you just gotta do what you gotta do. Now, how much do you know? How much uh, having that baby is gonna cost? It should cost me nothing. Oh, okay, cool. Because, yeah, like, um, I'm, like, with Starbucks, I, I just, like, don't, we don't make that much money at all. Mm-hmm. And, um, theoretically, I'm pretty sure it should cost nothing, because none of my appointments have cost anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that Starbucks offered uh, those kind of th- employee benefits. They do offer employee benefits, um, but you have to work a minimum of 20 hours a week for, like, the entire, for, like, a certain enrollment period. Okay. And then um, you have to, it's, like, $100 a month or something, which is fine, but I was like, well, if we qualify for Medicaid, let's just do that because $100 totally. a month is food, you know, so. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, yeah. that's pretty rad. I mean, yeah. it's one of those things where it's like it's, like, baby steps in the right direction, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I was getting, sometimes I get so irritated with this whole healthcare thing. Like I try to stay out of politics mostly because I don't know. I've always had the kind of stance on politics that like you can holler at me like when we start cutting people's heads off and I'll be there. Like I'll show up to that rally, you know, like Mm -hmm. where we like drag politicians out and, you know, tar and feather them and string them up and shit. But like, 
So I try not to keep up with like the more uh, like boring aspects of politics, but the single payer thing has always bothered me because it just doesn't. It's so clearly like a situation where everybody could have health care, and it could actually work, and it's just being held back by like very large corporations. Oh yeah, no, I definitely agree with that because um, like I was born in England, and so and I was born like two months early, so my entire like. NICU stay, you know, was free for my mom because mm-hmm. we had socialized medicine. And then, you know, like my dad was in the military for 22 years, so like most of my life. So we've, I've always had socialized healthcare, and I just don't, I don't understand how people can be against it when even the small steps we've tried to take towards it like are really hard I mean it's it's good for some people but it's also hard on others and it's like I just I, I really I'm like we need to do like single yeah. I agree yeah no and it's one of those things too where you know you'll and then you'll see um um you know a, an article about like hey they they made a new a new plane that can kill twice as many brown people as the last plane that they made and it costs one trillion dollars. How, how cool is that? And then you look, right. and it's like, oh, but the whole budget for like socialized medicine would be a fraction of that. You know what I'm saying? It's just, yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of down on America right now. I kind of think this place sucks a little bit, but I don't know. There's, I guess, there's worse places. There are definitely worse places, but as far as like us being a developed country, we're definitely not doing very good things for our people right now yeah i think it's like yeah i think it's like we became like the hub of like pop culture and entertainment for the world you know so like Mm -hmm. america as a country is is like a giant disney world almost and people come to it and they're like to like as tourists and well no i guess that's it's so complicated dude see this is why i don't talk about this shit (laughs) i know i know no you're good as soon as I start thinking about it, I'm like, no, wait, you're wrong. Hold on. Let's back up. Well, yesterday, um, for everybody listening, what happened yesterday was uh, my call recorder fucked up. So we talked for about five minutes. And it was already kind of getting into some interesting territory because we were talking about booze, I think. And uh, oh, yeah. the fact that you can't drink now, obviously, because there's a bebe. Yeah. Bebe in the belly. Is it actually in the belly? It's not in the belly. It's a, Well... A- I mean, here's the weird thing that I'm like learning all kinds of shit that I never knew about. Mm-hmm. Um, your uterus grows so large that it pushes all of your organs out of the way. Whoa. Like, you know, for example, right now I'm totally having a little bit of a hard time breathing <laughs> because I'm sitting up straight oh my because God. there's, there's such little room that it like pushes up against everything, which is like really weird and cool to think about. Yeah. But also like, yeah, I mean, technically it's not in my like stomach, but it is the entire torso of my body that has been filled up by this like stretched organ and this new organ grew, <laughs> and then this like human inside of it you know it's like totally crazy I had no idea like just how like insane the changes were that like biologically you go through it's that's, like crazy that is crazy it makes me think of like the way that I just pictured it was you know when uh they have like football practice and football players like run into those pads and yeah. like and like push them all out of the way and stuff like that, yeah it's like that but like a baby <laughs> over a slow nine month period of time yeah it's just like very slowly like uh, we'll just move 
just move these lungs. These lungs are in my way. That's, yeah. That's so wild. And it's, it's weird that, I don't know, the miracle, I, I have no idea how that has to feel. It's bizarre, right? Like, I don't know. I feel like babies should yeah, be grown no, no. outside of other people's bodies. <laughs> no, it's really cool, though. I really like it because, like, I don't know. I'm, like, totally a feely, like, a touchy-feely type of person. Like, uh-huh. I love and live by emotions and, like, feelings and all that kind of stuff. And the, the whole, like, experience of it has been, like, really great, even when it's been uncomfortable and painful or whatever. It's, like, it's cool. Like, I feel, like, weirdly connected to this human thing that I've never met yet and like I'm like learning about her while she's still like inside of me Mm -hmm. so it's just like it's really it's fascinating like it is it's really really cool yeah that's wild that's have you been have you been thinking about names yeah we've been thinking about names um I think we're gonna settle on Wednesday for first right. name. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. You know what's funny, man, is that uh, I've noticed that, that little kid names have gotten cooler because it's like, now it's like my generation naming kids. So kids just have, like, my name is fucking James David. Boo. Yeah. It's so boring. <laughs> and then, like, all my friends, like, like, I don't know, kids just have cooler names now. But yeah, what, that's a good choice, I think. Thank you. Yeah. Um... How, and how close is it? Does that scare you? Does the actual like thought of the birth process is that is that scary? Um, so I'm like eight weeks away right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I'm not like super scared of like the process of birth itself or like the pain or discomfort. I'm really more scared of like being in charge of taking care of a human being, mm, you know, right. cause like I have, I have a dog and I love my dog so much. I'm really, I really am good with dogs. I understand them emotionally and like I've taken care of like dogs a lot, but like it's dogs are a lot more independent right, <laughs> like, right. after their puppy phase, you know? And so it's like interesting because I'm like, this is going to be the first time that I am in charge of like an extremely fragile, like vulnerable like being, you know, so I'm like, uh, like, I don't know what to do. Like I have a lot to learn. And a lot Mm. of people say you learn as you go, you know? So I'm just like, all right. I just am. So that's the part I'm terrified of is that like, I'm extremely responsible for this living thing. Oh, like one of the things, this is one of my, uh, super irrational fears that I've tried to get over. But for the longest time, I actually was scared of holding babies because, you know, you mentioned how fragile they are. Mm-hmm. And this sounds like super fucked up, but I'm just going to roll with it. Like, I would always have these horrible, I guess, f- anxiety fantasies about, like, dropping a baby and, like, their heads just <laughs> splitting open. Oh, no. And, like, little baby brains going everywhere. And then people being like, you monster. And I'd be like, I'm not a monster. I'm just clumsy. Um <laughs> So, yeah, so I've been working very slowly to, like, get to the point where I'm like, okay, if I just hold on to the baby. But then you see parents who have had kids for a while, and they just, like, have the kid by, like, one leg. And they're just, like, swinging them around and shit. So Maybe it's just that, like, toddlers are more resilient. Because I know with, like, newborns, yeah, I'm, like, super scared of the fact that, like, they don't really have developed neck muscles yet, and you have to hold them really special. And I have actually... I've never held a newborn or a baby smaller than like 
I don't know, one or something. Like, yeah. I've never really been around babies, so yeah. I'm just like, oh, God. Right. But luckily, my husband is the oldest of five. He knows oh, a lot. Right cool. So he just kind of sits back, and he kind of laughs at me, and he's just like, this baby's going to fuck your world up. And he's, like, excited to see. <laughs> like, <laughs> nice. Like, like, what exactly is going to be like? <laughs> that's, <laughs> it's just, that's, that's hilarious, man. Yeah. So what, is, what does he do? Um, he works at one of the banks out here. He does like financial analysis type stuff. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, he just got his degree like, God, like last year, I think. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And how, how long have you guys been married? So we've been married for two years, two years. Yeah. But we knew each other for, like, we dated for seven years, like, before we got married. And I had known him forever. Right on. That's cool. So, is he, like, artistic? Are you guys an artistic couple? or? Um. Well, so, I would say that he's very creative and artistic, but definitely in different ways than I am. Like, mm-hmm. he's really into music. Like, he's so good with music. Um, he's so good and quick at, like, learning languages and stuff like that. But oh, he doesn't jealous. really like yeah, but he doesn't really like to read fiction. Um, so, which is interesting. I like it because we are, we're like really different in that way. Like, he's really good with numbers, but he sees like the creative side of math. Whoa. And for me, I'm just like, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, as soon as I, I see I numbers, dude, I'm like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm yeah. out. But like, it's cool though, too, because. <laughs> Sometimes I'll try to, like, read something in fiction to him, and he's like, I don't understand why that's good. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, that's fine, because I don't understand, like, why you find numbers interesting. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. No, that's re- that is really interesting. I've actually kind of been – I haven't found a whole bunch of fiction that I've enjoyed lately either. I'm getting – you know, I don't know if it's, like, a getting older thing, because, you know, it's kind of like a dad thing to read nonfiction books about, like – whaling ships and stuff you know mm-hmm. but it's like you do like i did get to a certain point and i'm just like i don't think i want to read any fiction anymore like right now i'm reading this really cool book about uh aztec shamanism right oh, that's uh, cool. so it's like a kind of anthropological thing but i mean i have fiction books that are in my stack but i don't know i have like i'm interested in the sarah book and that's it's probably yeah. it right did you read that yet no, it's um I just got it in the mail like last week. I haven't even posted like my cool Instagram picture that I'm gonna read it. Um but like I'm really Everybody does I'm that, really right? Excited. Yeah. Like that's a thing. It's how I keep track though. It's I know that way I know what I've read. It's you like know? you're taking an inventory basically. Yeah. That's so funny. But, yeah, um, I wonder about that. Sometimes I wonder like how many people read any of those fucking books. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway. I know. Um, but I mean, I, I read the ones that I do post, but, um, I know it's really interesting you say that because when I was in college, actually, all I ever did was read nonfiction, like so much. And now, um, like when I started seriously pursuing fiction writing, it's like the only thing that I've read Interesting. since like 2013. Yeah. I have not been able to like interest myself in reading nonfiction besides like news and stuff mm-hmm. or like whatever you read on the internet, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. And, and so 
like what kind of made this shit? Was there was there a particular book that made you go like, oh fuck, I gotta, I gotta chase the dragon? Um, kind of like, you know, like when I was in high school, whatever, I was like, oh, I totally want to be a writer, but then I was like, that doesn't make money, so I went to school for journalism and mm-hmm. like all that stuff. But then, um, I. I think I was starting to try and write poetry again or something like after college, after my first few years, like in the working world mm-hmm. and the dangerous writing workshop in Portland, like mm-hmm. opened up and I had read, I always liked Chuck Palahniuk stuff when I was younger, like some, some of his stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had read one of Tom Spanbar's books and I loved it so much that I was like, I'm going to go to this. And I think that was really when I started reading Tom Spanmauer, that was like the, the chasing the dragon for me because it was always so good and mm-hmm. so dense, and like so emotional that like I just wanted to figure out, like what he did, you know? Right. right. Yeah. So so tell me about the workshop. Um. So basically, it's, I think it was like three days. So like over the course of a weekend. Um, you would go, mm-hmm. and um, our first, like, our assignment was to write an essay where um, the moment after you're different, right? Mm, okay. And so it was, like, you had to consider a moment in your life um, where, like, right after this moment you're different. And so um, I had went, and I showed up, and I remember showing up with, like, my, my piece and reading it and feeling like I went – back to the place I was staying that night feeling like I should quit writing because it was so terrible and like mm-hmm. I was so insecure and like I was like this is too hard I don't know if I can do this yeah but then I took some of the like lessons and stuff that I that he had been like telling us about to revise it um and I kept going which sure. is good but I just remember feeling like so discouraged it was my first like real writing workshop so yeah, I feel like there's a lot. I feel like I want to get in on some of those. As soon as I, I'm going through like a big move right now where I'm moving from Portland to Texas. Um, yeah. So I like, and I got the bug like right now that I really want to be in writing workshops, which might be a little tough. I'm not sure exactly how many writing workshops there are in El Paso, but I'm going to figure something out because Rios is the same way. She uh, goes to a lot of uh, Lydia Yuknovich's uh, workshops. Yeah. And, uh, I love. oh yeah. Like she, like, like that's one of like the coolest people I think ever. Um, yeah. But like, every time she gets like done with those workshops, she's like, it's like, a, it's like a glow, you know? Yeah. Like, Oh, we like, and I, I, uh, I don't know. I just, I want that. I want that feel, you know? Um, I know. I totally get that. Lydia is so great. I've worked out with her a few times too. And like, for some reason, She's, like, so good at helping people, like, generate, like, for generative writing. She's, like, so good at helping people, like, get to, like, the core feeling of things and just, like, pull shit out from inside of them. That's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah, it's hard to do, too. It's, like, a, mm-hmm. it's almost like, yeah, I was thinking about this because having run a small press for, like, four years now, a lot, a big part of dealing with writers, it's almost like you become this sort of therapist in a way. Mm. And in order to get things out of people, it's almost like if you want to get into writing, a good idea might be to get a, a degree as like a psychotherapist or whatever, <laughs> because there's just so much that you have to deal with that like 
their anxieties and their um, imposter syndrome and you know not getting deep enough into the work and and getting down on themselves and blah 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 so yeah it's, it's a good skill or like to know. dealing with rejection and that type of stuff mm -hmm. yeah no um reject i realized i think i i think that i deep down i was kind of afraid of rejection in a way because it's like i started this whole press right and um jeremy johnson had published my first two books so I start mm -hmm. this. I start this whole press, and I go through this whole process, and then I just I'm like publishing myself, which I think is cool. I think self-publishing is really cool, mm -hmm. but I realized I was like, I think I'm afraid of being rejected because I've never I haven't submitted anything in since I was in college. You know, yeah. I've just always gone to either my friends or myself, and it's kind of like I think I need to get I need to do workshops and I need to get rejected. I think those are the two hills I have to climb. Yeah, I definitely recommend getting rejected as much as possible just because then you can kind of learn that it's like not a personal thing. Mm -hmm. Like I've definitely like hit this point where like I want so if like I I'm trying to think someone asked me today about like how um how often my work gets rejected versus when it's submit and I was like thinking about it and I was like damn, you know, I really even haven't submit stuff in the last like 6 months. I've submit maybe 3 pieces and like uh, one of those was to my friend <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and one of them I'm like waiting to hear back on and that was like the first time I've sent something out like, like through submittable to journals in like I don't know like a year or something like that but like um, it's easy to like really get wrapped up in this idea that like you're not good enough if you're constantly getting rejected instead of reminding yourself that it's like kind of arbitrary and like based on the taste of the editor rather than necessarily the strength of the piece but it's also hard to know when you know what I mean yeah and I mean it's also I mean there's so much that goes into it because I do a lot of rejecting uh, yeah and so you're 100% right it's it's almost never personal although I will say I have rejected people because I haven't liked how <laughs> forward they were with me you know uh -huh. But they're like, hey, hey, dude, here's my manuscript. Check it out. Um, yeah. I, mean, I don't care if people call me dude or whatever, but you, you see what I'm saying? Like that kind of like, hey, I'm not going to put even mild effort into d decorum. You know, I don't, it, I, it sounds kind of corny, but I don't know. It's just like, don't don't just like pretend that we're, we're buddies like forever. Yeah, right. Like, like I'm going to think to myself, do I know this person? I don't know. I better read their manuscript to figure it out um yeah but yeah no it's almost never personal it's usually I don't have space or time or it's the worst one is when it's really really good but it doesn't fit that's the yeah worst one. I know actually there was um there was a story for Hobart that I had read that was like so good and I was like laughing out loud like as I was reading it but like there was just like this one piece of it that like didn't quite fit and I personally didn't have the time to edit it and I feel I still think about that story because mm -hmm. I did reject it but then I'm like man like if I had had more time you know right, maybe right. I would have like, worked with them and I still like kind of am like sad about, <laughs> yeah. about those those rejections where it's like yeah there's no space or time even though they're good you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's like I just like I don't I don't want to do this I, I think this is great. Please don't take this the wrong way. And then, I don't. Have you gotten any people who have been nasty because you've rejected them? 
Uh, I don't think so. I mean, so like submittable with like Hobart in particular is really nice because if I reject the email doesn't come back to my Hobart email. It's like a no reply email. So mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, but I don't think that we've gotten anything negative through wishcraft either. Mm -hmm. So I've been really lucky. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, there have been. Yeah, there's one guy I remember. He's like, well, he's like, you just. This one guy told me he's like, congratulations, you just turned down the future of fiction. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was like, all right, dude, bet. Thank you. Um, I just don't respond to those, but yeah. um, yeah, no, I like writers are are fun. They're crazy, but hey, uh, so um, Dzenk. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. That's fucking cool. Thank you. How st how stoked were you when that when that came through? Um, I was I'm super excited. I feel really lucky to have like my this first like book be on such a great uh, publishing house. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. um, I was like really really excited. And then as I started working towards like finishing the book, then I got like really really nervous because I was like this book is awful. Sure. And then I went through the whole like you know imposter syndrome thing where I'm like no one really likes the book they're just doing it because they feel sorry for me or mm -hmm. because of whatever reasons mm -hmm. you know right but then I mean it was motivating though for for me to like make sure that the work is like as best as I can possibly make it before it gets out there so I have the I have the question that everybody is uh, dreads is what's what's it about so. I don't know how to sum this up in like a single sentence. No, don't worry about it. Just, 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 roll <laughs> just, just rock with it. The basic premise is this like 19 year old girl, um, starts dating a couple with a kid mm, okay. and, um, it goes terribly, terribly wrong. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Is it like, so, is it like a, is it like a horror book? No, it's, um, I mean, I don't know even how I would describe it. Like, sometimes I feel like the only thing I'm good at writing is sad erotica, and I say mm -hmm. that a lot, but, like, mostly it's because I just like to write about the relationships that people have and how people can be really fucked up and manipulative. And, like, you know, in relationships, a lot of times people will know when they're being manipulative and terrible, mm -hmm. and a lot of times, you know, they might not even see the ways that they're being that way. Mm -hmm. And I like to really explore like those lines and does between that, does that come from experience with people like that yeah i mean some of it is experience and some of it is like through observation you know mm -hmm. so like i just really like i like to like um like analyze things a lot you know and so i like to analyze relationships and see how people act and like i'm I was curious about like their motivations and why they do things and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. Do, does it is it kind of are you that that friend that that friends go to, where they're like, this is the situation, and you're like, oh my, fr sit sit down. Let, 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 <laughs> let me tell you the story of you. So, um, maybe I'm a Pisces, so I feel like maybe I'm like the the biggest empath, like for, mm -hmm. <laughs> for like the zodiac or whatever. So. Basic. So, uh, do you do, do you do tarot? Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, yeah. And I read it professionally for a while, but then I just got um, I got pretty exhausted, kind of mm -hmm. 
it is like that's like spiritual counseling stuff too where I was like oh I don't want to do this anymore I need to focus on myself but I do like to do tarot yeah and that kind of that sort of ties into the thing that you're talking about right because you're sort of like you have to kind of filter what the cards are saying through their situation etc so you have to sort of feel that out yeah what kind of I think so what, what got you into doing that originally um so I mean my grandmother was always really into like cool occult types of stuff you know and um she had like given me this really old tarot book that mm-hmm. I had but I never really started reading tarot until I was like 18 um, my friend Geneva bought me a deck and we would like sit at Barnes and Noble forever like during our senior year and just like start reading cards for each other mm-hmm. so we just kind of like got into it through that and it, it, be, it eventually kind of became a business for a while yeah like for a while I was like you know I think I'm pretty good at this like I can read cards without needing to like look up their meanings and stuff like that and like kind of infer like the symbolism and apply it to people's lives Mm -hmm. and then the more that I did it um I actually started out doing it drunk at parties because then I would be less Mm. nervous (laughs) (laughs) um but like the more that I did it the more that I was like these people are telling me that the readings are really correct for them and so I felt like that was a really good sign to start moving forward you Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. yeah and was that was that pretty lucrative for a while or um, it was grocery money. Like it was pretty good. I think if I had put more effort into it, you know, I could probably do it, um, on like a more like, you know, full-time basis. But I think you really have to have really strong, clear boundaries when you do it and like have a really good way of like helping yourself rest. And I think I was just having trouble with that when I was like getting into it. So I just would get like really exhausted. What do you mean by boundaries? Um, so like emotional boundaries and stuff like that. Like, uh, it's really, you know, when people like come to you for emotional support and you're like, Oh yeah, let me give you this like emotional (laughs) support, you know? (laughs) Um, if you, I think if you just like, if you don't have like really good boundaries, it can be really easy to just like take in people's energies like all the time and like not really have space for your own. And, um, so not that I was like taking these people's problems into like my world and like burdening myself with them per se. It was just like, you know, after a while I was like, man, a lot of this is like heavy stuff. And I just got like a little exhausted and I was like, maybe this is, maybe it's just from doing too many readings, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, I see what you mean now. It's like that. It's like the psychic weight of it, you know? Yeah. Now, are you into any other kind of like a culty type stuff? Yeah, I mean, um, when I was talking, you know, to Lisa, we talked a lot about, like, ritual and, like, witchcraft and stuff like that, and I think I phase in and out of using um, ritual in my life to help ground me Mm -hmm. and stuff, so. Right on. All right, that's pretty cool. Yeah, Yeah. I I dig all that stuff, too. I think it's having a real sort of, like, uh, resurgence, or maybe it's just the the kind of circles that I run in. it's always hard to tell, right? But I do think that it's yeah. sort of like, um, well, there are some people who I really like uh, listening to, particularly on podcasts and things like that. And, you know, they have a lot of interesting theories about how, you know, um, we've kind of had 200 years or so of um, scientific materialism, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's sort of like that seems to have run its course. 
And it's cool because it got us cars and phones and stuff, I guess, if those things are even good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but now it's like people need something a little bit different. And it, it's something that maybe tells a more complete story um, than, than science does. Because I've always been really, um, I guess when I was 12 or so, you know, I had to go to church every day. Or not every yeah. day, not every day. I mean, every like Wednesday and Sunday, basically. So I, ba- I basically couldn't miss church service. Um, what um, what type of what sect was were you? Southern Baptist. Okay, so, I was gonna ask you that because of the book that you just had come out. Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, um, yeah, I I've been around Pentecostals before. Um, yeah. Very very strange people. Um, but you know, I have. Actually, I have a lot of uh, respect now because, okay, so it's kind of like the fish hook, right? So basically, I've come all the way around. So when I was 12 or so, I went through, you know, the rebellious phase and it it had a lot to do. It's embarrassing, but just like listening to fucking like corn and shit, you know, like I got a corn is not embarrassing. It's okay to like new metal. I like, (laughs) thank you for saying that because I I do, I do love that stuff. So I got, I got, I got life is peachy. Um, and that changed my whole life. Cause I was like, it's, it's kind of incredible. Like the power that like one record can have, you know? And so mm-hmm. I was like, I don't believe in any of this anymore. <laughs> and, you know, so I, and then I went out and bought like Sam Harris books and Richard Dawkins books and kind of got into the whole atheism thing. But then after a while, that's really, it's not just that it's unsatisfying. It just doesn't feel correct to me um yeah and so i kind of came all the way back around you know to the point where i'm like i think i do believe in this stuff and you know once i started like saying prayers and stuff like that life kind of got a lot better so yeah no that's totally awesome i absolutely agree with that i'm um because yeah like in college i went through that whole thing too where i went through all these phases of trying to read about like different philosophies and I thought that I was atheist for a while and then I was like I'm agnostic and then I was like um I converted to Islam like Shia Islam for a while then I Mm deconverted and then um I like I see myself as more polytheistic now but um, a lot of how I view the world is that I, I don't think that materialism is good fundamentally or at least like I like the things that it's done in terms of, like, progressing humanity, but I think too much of it can be bad. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm absolutely fascinated by religion in general, especially, like, now that I, like, living out here in Arkansas, um, there are, there's a lot of Pentecostals, a lot of Southern Baptists and stuff, and um, I am, I find it very interesting, you know, and some of my friends are pretty religious and I love talking to them about Christianity and religion and like trying to understand more about it just because um I didn't grow up in a super strict environment but like my husband did and like we talk about like a lot of the bible a lot all the time and like how it affects our culture and how it's developed like throughout history you know and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. I don't know I think it's cool yeah, no, one of, the, that. one of the fun things is that I, I really got into, I was reading Philip K. Dick, um, yeah. and he, you know, in uh, Vallis, he talks about uh, the Gnostics a lot, specifically the the uh, scriptures they found at Nag Hammadi. So I went and bought the Nag Hammadi scriptures, and you know, it's all the um, Gospel of Judas and 
you know, shit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, it adds like a whole new interesting level to it because you go back and you realize, oh man, before Christian Christianity became sort of what it is today, it was this fucking weird esoteric, like thing right yeah you read like people like rudolf steiner and stuff like that and it's just it's this very interesting take on like esoteric i think esoteric christianity is is probably the direction i'm I'm going just because it's so different but it feels like the real one because i mean it's 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 the cliche right but it's you know when you go and you look at like what the things jesus said it was like pretty pretty easy to wrap your head around it's like be nice Mm -hmm. to people take care of the poor um, don't get too rich because being rich is fucked up, um, mm-hmm. et cetera. Like, like it's more, it's almost like, and then, you know, of course people go into the, to the Bible, you know, I've always thought of like the Bible as actually this sort of paper representation of an actual human brain. Um, mm. and because it contains so much, like so many elements of human personality. And so it has like one side of the brain is this mean vindictive authoritarian asshole and then the other half of the brain is this it's like a yin and yang because the other half is this sweet loving peaceful you know what you'd actually want to be and it's like those things are at war with each other and it's almost like we select what part of the brain we want to light up and unfortunately most people go for the asshole parts Um, no that's so true actually that's actually okay so one of my favorite verses from the bible uh, and i've been thinking about this a lot in terms of like because i just want to explore it more in fiction a little is i think it's the book of matthew 30 god 10 34 36 i think and jesus says i come not to bring peace but a sword and to separate brother from sister and mother from father and father from son. Mm-hmm. And like, um, I always think about that. Like, <laughs> I always think about this verse a lot because I'm like, yeah, like there, there is this, like, there's a part of Christianity that I think sometimes people miss because they don't, they're actually not familiar with it. Where like division and strife, like the asshole part of it, like that part does happen and that is a part of christianity and part of it is about reinforcing it's reinforcing and strengthening faith but part of it is also because um a lot of war happened back mm-hmm. then and there was need to like i mean different from war today obviously but right. there was a lot of justification needed for a lot of that so yeah right i right. totally get that <laughs> yeah no it was it was a different it was definitely a different time um but it's so when you just, when you hear about how, you know, people actually see the world differently. And what I mean by that is, um, there was this great book called Art and Physics by a guy named Leonard Schlein, who mm-hmm. also wrote a book called The Alphabet Versus the Goddess, which is, he, he, in that book, he kind of shows how um, the the rise of a particular sort of religion coincided with... Uh, a lot of misogyny, right? So, mm-hmm. and he kind of like charts that. But in art and physics, he talks about how art seems to make these these leaps just before people discover it in physics. And so, a big part of it is about how uh, particular cultures around the world see the world. And uh, he talks about the art of the Inuits. And you know, mm-hmm. of course, you know, it's like they live up in the very cold, desolate sort of. Uh, wasteland basically 
Um, but he talks about like their carvings, their whale carvings, and how they aren't three-dimensional representations of a whale. They like on one side of the carving, it'll be the head of the whale, and then it'll go and it'll loop all the way around the carving, and then the tail will touch on the other side. Does that make sense? Because that's actually yeah. that's actually how they. What he's saying there is that they actually see the world differently. So it's it's interesting to take books that were written two thousand years ago. Because who knows how we perceive the world now? Because we, we spend most of our time staring at screens. Um, yeah. <laughs> like entire cities are designed. Uh, the reason why cities are so ugly now is because we take trains and, you know, ride in cars. And so they don't have to look good because you don't even notice them. So they're designed to be viewed flashing past you as you speed down the road at 40 miles an hour. Um, but Japan has trains and cars, and, like, Tokyo is beautiful. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Well, they have a whole, I mean, like, their philosophy of design, like, wabi-sabi and stuff like that, uh, mm -hmm. like, they have, like, whole terms invented for their different architectural aesthetics. So it's mm -hmm. really super important to Japanese people to keep things. But anyway, so, yeah, so I guess what I'm saying is that it's interesting then that we, with our brains, which are still, you know, million year old, like they haven't really advanced that much in the past, you know, 100,000 years, but mm -hmm. they've adapted as best they can to this sort of futuristic dystopia that we have. Then we try to go back and look at these things. And it's interesting what people pick out. And I think it's more reflective on the people than it is on the text. Yeah. No, I definitely, um, I definitely think that's really true. It's really awesome that you're talking about that too because I just watched the arrival and like yeah. <laughs> I like bawled at the end of that movie because I love science fiction but I hate there's like this this like new science fiction which is all about like action, you know, mm -hmm. like action flicks and I'm I like that stuff but I really like thoughtful science fiction mm -hmm. and um the arrival does that too. I don't know if I should talk about it cuz of spoiler alerts or whatever, but basically like um it's cool. You can the, spoil it. Okay. So, like, the aliens perceive time not as linear, but as, like, always existing on, like, a continuous spectrum. And that's how their language works. And mm. I love language. So I was like, oh, this is, like, a really cool, like, the way that they were explaining, like, how um, how their thoughts are formed in their head. And when their thoughts are formed differently, they do experience time differently. And it's that's, like, a fundamental – I think that's fundamental to different cultures, too, not just, like – in this movie, but it was just like a really cool concept. And, and then I bawled at the end of the movie. It was so good. That is a really cool concept. And I like the idea of perceiving time differently. I think it was, uh, probably the first time that I, uh, smoked DMT where I was like, Oh, time, <laughs> time is definitely this construction, you know, and it's, yeah. and it's real. And, you know, I always like the kind of like Grant Morrison Invisibles theory of time, which is that they're, you know, extra dimensional, like fifth dimensional beings that created time because since they're outside of time, they can't watch things grow. So they mm. basically created this uh, sort of time sphere where they could put beings into it and watch them develop and grow and things like that because that's cool. Yeah. I like that kind of shit, but yeah, I've been trying in my personal life too, to, perceive time differently which seems like it could be this weird hippie thing where i'm late for everything and it's like i just dude i just perceive time differently bro <laughs> but I, I think just like i don't know if you ever get this but i get anxiety sometimes about ticking clocks and you know getting old mm -hmm. and dying and shit and it's mm -hmm. 
that's the other thing that sort of rejecting uh, scientific materialism does for you is you realize, which is it's also kind of a, maybe a slightly frightening thought, but that you know the shit doesn't really end. Um, things keep going. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. How no, you I understand. Yeah, no, no. I mean, like, I definitely, so when it comes to, like, writing and stuff, I definitely always have this anxiousness that, like, I'm going to die before I'm done doing what I feel like I want to do or need to do, like, in terms of art stuff. Um, But the other side of it, too, is that a lot of how, in America, how we perceive time is based on um, humans being seen as, like, cogs of production and how much labor Mm -hmm. they can squeeze out of us and, like, what amount of time we can do that in, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um... It's, like, I'm, I mean, I'm pretty anti-capitalist. Like, I see some of its benefits, like, as a fence-sitter, but I definitely, like, think that how, like, we deal with people in the United States is just, like, awful. Like, I just, mm-hmm. I hate it so much. But, um, oh, shit, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, no, you, you were, you were talking about, uh, really, it, like, it's a, it's a point of interest for me, too, just sort of how... Uh, we view human beings as cogs, like since the industrial revolution, like even our education yeah. system has been, is, is like the, when you go to school, that's, that's school for people who are going to work in factories. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, definitely. It's like, how good can you follow the rules and do what we tell you to do, like in the public education system. And so people who are good at that are rewarded and people who question authority all the time are definitely not rewarded and they have a lot harder time making it through the corporate world or, you know, making it through the public school system, sometimes making it through college. It just kind of depends. Mm -hmm. But um, in terms of that, like in that experience of time, I did hit this point about a year and a half ago where, um, like I, uh, completely like restructured my life and like what we were like doing because I was working in an office and doing like proposal writing and marketing, which I'd done for like six to eight years or something like that. And like, I would open my email every day and just like feel like suicidal. Like I really just like wanted to die. Like it was so mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was so miserable. I hit this point where, um, like, my husband was literally just, like, you should just quit your job and, like, we'll figure it out and, like, you know, be broke because, like, I it was, I was just so, like, it was so bad, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I was, like, starting to, like, not want to eat anymore because I used to have an eating disorder. And usually when I can't control my life, like, I, if I control and, like, my body and stuff, then I, you know, manage my anxiety that way. So right, I was, right. like, all right, let's, like, change shit up. But, um... Part of that is, like, the stupid ideal that, like, life is short. And, like, it's true. Like, life is short. Like, every moment that I have, like, with my husband, like, I appreciate so much because I'm always, like, it could be, like, the last day. Like, we never know, you know, like, when we're going to die or, like, what's going to happen. And Sure. Yeah, I definitely was just, like, we need to restructure our lives Mm -hmm. so that way – we're not like wasting our time. Like we're doing the things that we really want and like need to be doing. And I wonder if part of that is just becoming older and having less time for people's bullshit, you know? Yeah, no, I think so. And I think that, um, I think, you know, it's probably different strokes for different folks because I, I kind of, I'm down on the whole, the thing that always freaks me out is the person who gets to be like, you know, 80 years old and they've worked every day of their life and they have millions and millions of dollars. And then for what? They Mm -hmm. just, they just die. Um, 
But now I'm sort of trying to understand, you know, the sort of kaleidoscope of human experience and that there are people out there who get great satisfaction from working. Uh, yeah. Things that like, like, you know, you opening up that email, there are people out there who can't fucking wait to get to that email and uh, God bless them. But I think we're just, it has to do, it has to do, I think, with levels of creativity, right? And I think yeah. that, that that stuff to people, because I was in the same position, basically. I had the opportunity to work at Charles Schwab, you know, uh, mm -hmm. it was like a brokerage firm or whatever. And yeah, I, I was there and, and I was like, no, no, this is just, there's no way. My life would have been very, very different if I had stuck with that, I think. But actually, it probably would have been for nothing because this was before the whole crash and stuff. So probably would have ended up oh, losing yeah. that anyway. But um, yeah. anyway, no, I think that I think that I'm, I'm really uh, getting what you're saying because yeah, it's it's just I'd rather spend time with people than work. Yeah, and that's you know I'm just I just kind of have come to accept that like as far as working goes, like I am really good in customer service. It doesn't drain me like. I can do it every single day. I could do it 40 hours a week. You know, mm -hmm. I like being around people and stuff. And it just, it does make a lot less money. But, like, I'm honestly willing to say, like, you know, I'm willing to do, like, I'm willing to make that trade off. Like, my husband and I, like, worked it out where it's like, okay, this is kind of how it's have to be. Like, mm -hmm. sometimes it's like, you know, hey, we can't, uh, we can't buy food for like three more days. So we really have sure. to stretch, like, what we have or, like, we don't, um, go out a lot like we make sacrifices and stuff like that like when we first moved to arkansas we didn't have furniture for like six months right like right. i just got a couch and i was like yeah like a couch like Hell this is yeah, so dude. amazing but like we you know we're sleeping on the floor like we didn't have anything but at the same time i was like i much prefer this to me personally like waking up at 5 a.m every day and then going into an office and sitting down and wondering what i'm doing writing proposals for federal contracts you Ugh. know Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it just makes like my soul dry up you know like just yeah. hear, hearing words like that but you know like i said i'm trying to be more understanding like there are people who would hear proposals for federal whatever the hell you just said and be like "Ooh." Fun, oh yeah some know? people really do love it and that's totally that's fine like i definitely don't judge people for how they want to organize their lives or anything right. i just was like i don't think i can do this right like anymore oh no totally yeah no i'm 100 percent the same way yeah i guess i'm more i'm more talking about like just how how i tend to react to stuff like that i have a really mm -hmm. bad habit of if i think something sucks like being completely unable to understand you know why someone else would would like it and i'm trying mm -hmm. to get better because you know when people do that with art it's really, really annoying. And so I've gotten, mm -hmm. I've gotten past that a long time ago, but I'm yeah. trying to do that more with like lifestyles and stuff. Cause everybody has that one friend who, you know, you like some movie or some book and they really want to like, let you know why you're wrong for liking that thing. And it's like, yeah, I like, hate that. Dude, you can't be wrong. It's just, it's just art, man. Like, I think it's cool. So whatever. yeah, but, I um, know. well, I'm trying to think. I'm also trying to become more comfortable with silence, too. I think when I first started this podcast, I was like, I got to fill every second with words. And then it's like, why? Yeah. I just sit here for a second. Let me think. I you just, to... like, channel Brad Listy. <laughs> you know? Oh, God. I'm going to throw myself <laughs> off a building. 
It's funny. No, I like his I like his show a lot. Um, Me too. He's yeah. like he does do. He likes the silence though. He's like really good at just like letting the silence sit. Mm-hmm. Oh no. Yeah. yeah, it's totally a skill that I have to learn. I don't know. I just I've always come from I've come from very very chatty family, um, where you know we could sit around the like I I would grow up basically with my mother my grandmother and my aunt and i would just sit there at the table and they would talk for hours about everything and so mm-hmm. i just i just was always like if if it's quiet someone's pissed you know something's wrong <laughs> yeah um but okay so all right so i want to talk a little bit more about the the book so the book is sure. pretty much done right like it's 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 locked and loaded and ready to go yeah yeah my galley text is due on august 15th and so i like i have like one or two scenes that i really need to like finish mm-hmm. before i feel like it's really ready are you happy uh, with it you know i'm as happy as i can be like <laughs> i hit a point recently where i was like looking at stuff that i knew was wrong but then i was like i don't know how to fix this you know um like i knew like you know it's like you know when something's bad but like you don't have like the skill set really or like the vision to like do what you want Mm -hmm. and um i actually like have almost exclusively been reading like mary gateskill and elizabeth allen this year (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that has like really helped i was still like reading reading people that like i'm really inspired by really kind of helps get your your brain and like the right mindset for that um, but it was tough cause you know, like, uh, um, I like make some pop culture references in the book too, to like Marilyn Manson. And I spent a long time like deliberating over whether or not that was the right thing to do or mm. if, like, you know, like I've considered myself a pretty hardcore Manson fan, but I feel like, you know, a hardcore Manson fan might read it and be like, this is stupid or wrong or whatever. So I was like deliberating over like that type of stuff oh that's but. crazy so so basically so if, if it's spoiling anything we don't have to talk about it but i'm interested in this so like so there's a there's a reference to marilyn manson and you're you're thinking that maybe some other fans would see that and think that you are like a poser or something or yeah like i kind of wondered about that so like it um it doesn't spoil it. One of the main characters is um so like he's a self-professed Satanist, and um he's like really into Marilyn Manson. And I bring up Mar- uh, Manson's autobiography, um in the book, mm-hmm. and um like when I started it, I really wanted to explore Satanism like a lot more than I did. But then I kind of just let it like sit and like marinate like where it was, mm-hmm. um. But yeah, like I, I think the time frame of when the book happens is around when uh, Golden Age of Grotesque had just come out, or mm. it had been like a few years when it had just come out. So it kind of like has like the like references to like that era of Manson in it. Mm, okay. Okay. Yeah. I love that album. It's great. It is such a good. It's yeah. a great album. When you were talking about corn earlier and like listening to Life is Peachy, mm-hmm. I was just thinking about how um, with Manson, like that's one reason why I really love and respect his work is because he explores Christian themes so much that like he's responsible for like the questioning and deconversion of so many. <laughs> right, right. Like so many kids who didn't know that there was any other way of thinking. And like that's another thing that's cool about. Um, about that aspect of it is that like the myth and story of Lucifer is like 
so fascinating when you really when you really look at it like Levain Satanism maybe not so much but um like Lucifer as a subject is pretty cool yeah no I think that folks like like Anton LaVey they they they're a product of their time right so yeah you know, the whole do it thou wilt shall be the whole of the law that was Crowley I think right but like yeah that, that was that kind of whole thing it, it kind of makes sense uh for for that time but yeah no I do I like to look at you know Lucifer as being like you know not a bad guy just a guy who was like hey this shit is weird does anybody else think this shit is weird and then God was like oh hell no I know you didn't just question me and yeah and he's all like all right well but yeah no that's it's not an area that I'm, I'm super knowledgeable on but i remember being in church and i had snuck in my corn cd and this kid brought a, a marilyn manson cd and i, I thought it was so scary you know? <laughs> i was like looking at it i was like this is scary like i was scared of it probably the first few times i saw it and i had to kind of like because then i saw the music videos and i was like this guy is fucking creepy and scary and then of course you know eventually i'm like this fucking rules um yeah but that actually took me a long time to kind of like get into because you know i mean the, those baptist roots go deep and mm-hmm. it's pretty overtly you know blasphemous so it took me kind of a while to wrap my head around that but overall it's a good thing yeah no, for sure. I know. I it's kind of funny too because like as as like a purveyor of shock rock, it's funny to like look back on that and at, in its time and heyday, like it was so shocking and scary and terrifying and parents were so up in arms about like how badly music was influencing their children mm-hmm. and you know, whether or not Manson had anything to do with Columbine, which was insane. I mean, like, he even was like, I'm not going to give any interviews during this time, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember hearing, but, like, crazy shit, like, he would throw puppies into his audience, and, like, of course, you know, he, like, took his rib out so he could suck his own dick. Like, <laughs> yeah. all kinds of crazy shit that it's just I like, know. how did that even get started? I know, I know. It's, like, really funny. But it's funny, too, though, because I feel like today people are, like, let they would be, like, okay... Yeah, so, no, yeah, exactly. If they were like, he took his rib out so he could suck his own dick, people would be like, cool. Big bad. deal. <laughs> I know, it's really funny. It's like, how, how much but, is yeah. that surgery? Maybe I'll do it myself, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm an enlightened millennial. Um, but yeah, no, that was, that was, I don't know where any of those kind of things came from. But then, you know, it's like everything else is, I don't even know really if there's, I've seen anything shocking lately. I think reality has just kind of become shocking. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Most of the things I don't find myself shocked by much except for like politics, maybe. Mm-hmm. And mostly that has to do with like our terrible foreign policy, which has been and continues to be bad forever. Yeah. I find that when I look on, on social media and stuff, I get frustrated with people um, because some of the people who I I listen to on podcasts, one of the ideas that they put forward that I think is so cool is just like, you know, thinking bigger and like thinking beyond this sort of, these sort of choices that we've been given. And so I'm kind of like that dude who isn't really happy with any side. Like I'm not a very good, I'm not very pragmatic with my political choices Mm -hmm. because I like decided to draw a hard line where it's like, if you're cool with bombing 
brown children or brown people or people in foreign mm-hmm. countries at all, then that's where I draw the line on you, right? So mm-hmm. for, for politics, it's weird, you know, when I see people arguing about like, you know, Trump or Clinton or Sanders, I'm like, last time I checked, most of those people are cool with, uh, with bombing people. And I just, I just can't rock with that anymore. Yeah, no, absolutely. I know. I understand that completely. And it's really frustrating too, because like people are really politically active now, which is like great, but like, I feel like they need to take like 10 fucking years of like, uh, global history to understand like the effects of American imperialism, especially with how like we've dealt with the Middle East since, um, I want to say the 1950s, but I feel like most people could probably like deal with understanding how we dealt with the Middle East starting in like Reagan's era, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Just to like have an understanding of, like how long a lot of that situation has been going on. Like when I could, when I could, had converted to Islam, I spent a lot of time studying, um, uh, a lot of that conflict and had been like watching the Syria thing like unfold for quite a while, mm-hmm. like before, before people were really talking about it in the news and like to see like kind of what it's, what has happened today and like what it's morphed into is like, it's really hard because I just don't want to hear people talk about it because of a lot of the misinformation that has occurred. And it's really tough. And it's tough too, because like, um, I find Iran to be like an incredible country. I had a, a lot of Iranian friends that I was hanging out with, like, all the time and you know hearing kind of like how their families were treated mm-hmm. you know I had friends I had friends who like would come over here they would have to travel back to Iran separately from their fathers because their fathers would always be stopped mm. or every time like their husbands would come back and visit um, they would actually get visits um, like from the federal government like from like the CIA to question like what they were doing in Iran and whether or not they had business there and like all kinds of crazy stuff, you know, like during uh, during Obama's administration, even. And so, it's just like frustrating because totally. we need to leave Iran alone. <laughs> That's <laughs> how I feel. Leave Iran alone. Chris, you know, Chris, like Chris Crocker, but for Iran. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I always yeah. I always feel that way. Like every time I see like North Korea in the news, like um, I know that like the strife between North and South Korea is like, you know, politically very hard, but I'm always just like, why is America like here? Like leave, leave them alone. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yeah, no, it's, it's the, it's the kind of, you know, idea that if we, it's like a big, you know, Mexican standoff. And if one person puts their gun down, you know, then they're the one who gets, so I don't know. But, um, so when you converted to Islam, was that did it just move you or did you do were you like really into the like the culture or the the Quran or tell me about that yeah um it actually started because um I think it was around the like quote-unquote official 10th anniversary of 9-11 right after they had claimed Osama bin Laden was killed and that they said I remember reading in the news somewhere they said that they had like released his body to see in terms of proper Muslim burial. And I was like, I don't think that that's proper Muslim burial. Like Mm -hmm. I just didn't understand that. And then I was like, why would the United States who really doesn't give a shit, like bury his body according to his own religious practice when they consider him an enemy of the state? Like I just, it didn't make any sense to me. Mm -hmm. So when I started researching it, um, I learned about like, 
halal slaughtering and stuff. And I, I'm like a really big um, food and animal activist. Like I don't like big agriculture. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, this is really cool. Like they respect animals, like, um, and all that stuff. And as I started getting more into it, I was like, this is actually like a really interesting and fascinating. And I just kind of went with it. Like I felt more pulled like into the religion. Mm-hmm. Started studying more of the history. Um, and then like converted into the local mosque. There were a lot of like other, uh, com- you know, American converts and stuff too mm-hmm. in Denver when I went, which was like really cool. Um, and I had never actually voluntarily been a part of an organized religion either. So like the collectivism aspect was really fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And it's actually that experiencing collectivism on that level is one thing that like I still really, like really miss about being part of the community mm-hmm. is that, um, mm-hmm. It's, it's strong and powerful and it's really beautiful, but it can also be, like, really ostracizing, you know? Oh, sure, yeah. But, like, um, I love, I think collectivism is great. I wish that we were a little less individualist here. Oh, it's so cool you that know? you said that. I actually just had this, this, this thought a few days ago where I was like, individualism is probably the root of all of our fucking problems right now, you know? Yeah. And it also comes back to what we were talking about, about having a certain amount of time that of our lives you know and and sort of like Mm -hmm. deciding what we're going to do with that time and instead of like trying to be the this individual who does everything like finding one thing and sticking with it it's like that documentary like jiro dreams of sushi Um, yeah i don't feel like jiro thinks of himself as like an individual he's a part of a collective and his role is to make really really good sushi and yeah so i've romanticized that a little bit but you know it's funny i knew one uh dude who had converted to islam when i was in oklahoma his name was spam Mm. and he was in a it was in a punk band i can't remember what they were called now but he was kind of like a gg allen light type dude so Mm. you know we go to the shows and you know he'd like this big ripped dude and he liked you know beat people the fuck up in the in the pit and stuff and then he'd always have to do his his prayers but i always thought it was cool because he was really he was a really disciplined dude you know like he was just disciplined in all aspects of his life he was like he was fit. He didn't have a house. I don't think he lived in a van, but it was kind of cool. Like he had his prayer rug. He said his prayers. He worked out. Like and it seemed like a really neat way to live. Very focused, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you definitely um, you have to be conscientious of it, and you do have to pray five times a day. Um, like I was going to the mosque um, every Friday for Gemma. That's like church, you mm-hmm. know, on mm-hmm. Sundays. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in Shia Islam. Um, on Thursday nights, uh, we would all get together and recite do a Kumail, which is, it's a, like, really specific sectarian differences between, like, Shia and Sunni Islam, but it was, like, so, it was cool to just, like, yeah, constantly have that community and feel, like, responsible for showing up every week, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So what ended up, what, wh- why did you stop? Um, so part of it was, um, just... I wanted to, like, drink and, like, not feel bad. Like, I just started – I mean, that wasn't, like, the only thing. But there were, like, a couple other aspects where I was, like, this is really tough because um, although hijab is not mandatory per se, Mm. um, like, I did feel like sometimes the community looked down on me because I wasn't wearing it all the time. And I found that transition to be really, really difficult for me. Mm -hmm. Like, that was part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone did, you know, I mean, it's mixed, you know what I mean? Sure. 
And then um, I also was just having a hard time because um, cause I'm, like, queer. Like, I like women. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like I was hiding this part of myself from a lot of, like, my sisters in the community, too. And through that, the more I started studying as well, the more I started, like, internally feeling, like, that a lot of religion is folkish. Like, it's very tribal. Like, I think a lot of it is based on, like, um, uh, folkish tradition in terms of, like, where you're located and what gods you pray to. Like, in Japan, for example, um, there's a lot of, like, gods that are specific, like, to particular areas, Mm -hmm. you know, that you would, like, call down for harvest or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, like, you wouldn't, you know, be in the middle of Oklahoma calling down that same Japanese god to harvest. Like, it just doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. And so I started feeling like part of me was, like, questioning. Like, I was like, maybe I'm participating in, like, a type of white tourism, Mm -hmm. even though, like, they were all really welcoming and that there's not really an idea that being Muslim is, like, ethnic by any means. It's really not. But part of me was like, I'm starting to not feel as connected to the religion anymore. I'm starting to feel like, you know, maybe humans are really like polytheist and like this is like monotheism is how we're trying to like organize it. And I don't know. I was just like becoming more respectful of it while moving away from it at the same time. Mm, that's a, that's interesting. Yeah. No, yeah. I, li- I like that. I, I see what you're saying, too. It's kind of how I felt about like on my on my arm, you know. I was I was really into uh, to Buddhism, and so I had gotten an Om symbol on my arm, uh, and it's it's a very old tattoo now. It's like Jesus, like twelve years old maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I mean I was kind of the same way. Like I started to sort of move away from it, and you know, I mean obviously I don't have the I'm not going to cover up the tattoo or anything like that, but. Yeah. It did, I, I, I feel like the way you put it was sort of right on, where it's like, I can sort of take the things that I like about it, but, like, I'm not going to pretend that I'm a, you know, Buddhist, right? Like, it just yeah. it just didn't, if it's if it doesn't move me, then I'm not going to rock with it, basically. So, I don't know. I knew, and also, it's so funny, it's kind of like a digression in a way, but I, I also, when I moved to Portland, I met a Buddhist monk, um, and I was like, wow, like you're, you're kind of like different from what I thought Buddhism was supposed to be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just seemed to be upset a lot. And I'm like, I thought that this was like a thing that was supposed to be peaceful and shit, but anyway. Oh yeah. yeah. But that's no, that's actually, really yeah. I actually love that about like Western Buddhism versus like Buddhism and the rest of the world, you know, I mean, besides there's like different forms of Buddhism, you know, but like, um, one of our neighbors claims that he's Buddhist, but like he's really not. I mean, he can he appreciates like the tenets and stuff, but he doesn't really study. He just kind of uses it as a identity marker, you know. Sure. And like he got really really upset one night. Um, like you know, we had friends over and they were like all drinking. He just got so mad because um, I started. We started like pointing out that I mean. There's a Muslim genocide in uh, Myanmar right now. I don't know if it's still ongoing, but it was the past couple of years a really big issue because Buddhist monks were killing the Muslims. Right, right. Because Buddhism isn't, like, there's a lot of misconceptions about it, and I think part of that is because in the United States we love to commodify everything and sell it to people because we're individualists, because it makes us feel good about ourselves, mm. because we don't 
necessarily want to reflect and grow as people because that's hard. We right. just want to buy stuff and like feel better. Yeah, buying stuff does feel pretty good, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I was I watched that Martin Scorsese movie Silence about Catholic priests uh, trying to bring uh, Christianity to Japan. And yeah. yeah, I mean, like the 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 <laughs> Buddhists there would fucking torture them in the most heinous ways to keep. That's why like Christianity never took in Japan because they fucking killed all the priests in, in yeah. horrifying ways. Yeah, um, who came through? So yeah, shit is complicated. People people are for the most part uh, monsters. So you know, it's just always kind yeah. of important to remember that. I think. I think that's um something that is like one of the like satanic tenets or whatever that man is just another animal and i mm. think we forget about that that's true well yeah. that, that's actually a great note to end on i appreciate uh, your time when is your book coming out it comes out officially april 3rd next year oh wow it's it's in the distance it is in the distance, um, but I should have like advanced review copy soon. So I just kind of want to pretend it comes out earlier. Sweet, yeah, no, that's <laughs> yeah. awesome. Well, hey, congratulations, and and thank, thank you. you very much for your time. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it.